Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, we are taping a special segment from the People's Action Convention. That is a network of 37 different organizations like this National Wisconsin around the country. And there's a big annual convention in Washington, D.C. And we're honored to have sitting at our table Heather Booth, who is a legendary social justice activist and leader. In fact, there is a movie out about her, which has been on PBS, most PBS stations recently, which I'm sure you can also find online. But Heather, thank you very much for joining us. Well, I'm thrilled to be with you because if someone is legendary, it is Robert. You are a <laughs> legendary director of a grassroots multi-issue organization that does policy and politics, has made such a difference in Wisconsin, part of our hopes for the future are based on the work of what Wisconsin Citizen Action will do. And you're so right also that People's Action, the national federation of these organizations, is part of the hope for the whole country. Grassroots power across race and class and kind of population in rural and in urban areas um, with vital leadership. It's been a great convention and I'm looking forward to a winning future. So for those listeners who don't know Heather, and I've known Heather at least for 14, 15 years, I think the Blueprint Project in Wisconsin is uh. where I first <laughs> met you, I believe, but uh, that you're someone who is involved in so many things that you have a unique bird's eye view of a lot of strategy going on, a lot of different movements, and a lot of things that are trying to you know, change the country. And so if you look forward to putting up a winning campaign that removes Donald Trump from office, to me the big question is what do we do, right, if we take back the Senate, uh, hold on to the House, build a majority, make it even more progressive, uh, and then have a progressive president. Uh, what do you think, you're someone who's going to be relied upon in 2021 for your experience and insight into all of this, uh, what do you think that we will need to do if we actually gain what we like to call in people's action world governing power? Well, the first part is actually getting there. Yes. And, and we shouldn't be, you know, as they say, don't, don't design the curtains for the office you're going to fill before you got it. Uh, so just a word about some of the things I think we need to do to get there. One is we do need to listen to the grassroots in groups like Wisconsin Citizen Action um, so that we're hearing from people on the ground. What do people really want? What will allow us to hang together? What will get those who are not involved to be involved who'd be with us? And how do we persuade some portion to uh, realize that together we can build a better future? I think in this period, recognizing that getting rid of Trump is the main target, though in state by state, we have to follow Wisconsin's lead and the build the kind of victories you had. So it's building grassroots power converting it to the electoral power, just as you did in the last round, and then holding on to it by building organization to consolidate the gains you make from that movement building. Now, part of what moves us to that period is having a bold vision to know that it's worth fighting for something and realizing how that bold vision actually impacts people's lives. So yes, Medicare for all and knowing that what it means for us in our lives is that we won't, we'll be able to afford the medicines that we need to have a, a vital and healthy life, that we'll be able to see the doctors of our choice, that we'll be able to 
um, have a system that actually puts health at the center, the same on education, on criminal justice. So bold vision tied to the impact on real people's lives, building both the movement power, and I often say I, I carry my pussy hat with me wherever I go so that if there's a call for resistance, I want to be there. But we need more than the resistance. We need to convert that into organization and do the kind of outreach that you're doing in Wisconsin of recruiting new people uh, and building new chapters. Yeah, you're totally right about that. And that's what you've been committed to and are still committed to and working towards your career is actually creating a deeper democracy, which requires people to be involved heavily in beyond voting. They need to vote, but they need to do more than vote. They need to be involved civically in organizations and voluntary associations. And the only way you balance corporate power is people power, which people means power. organized people power, not people just in their homes calling their congressperson. It's literally people working together uh, to create power. Now, because you, you, you're used to the beltway chatter, right? And there's some concern, some hand-wringing that the kind of obsession with the Mueller investigation, impeachment, uh, the, well now it's apparently it was not criminal conspiracy, but it was with Russia, but it was simply um, helping the Russians and working with them, but not a oh, specific plan, right, exactly, <laughs> in order to affect an election. Yeah. But do you feel like there, that that emphasis, which is you know, on a lot of cable news, just repetitive, right, is taking away from what actually drives people to be involved, which is things that affect their lives? Well, I, I do think that the uh, abuses, the collusion, um, if not the basis for criminal conspiracy, but the, and there even may be that, we haven't seen the full report. It just wasn't so enough evidence that he could get. And right. uh, it may very well be that Mueller expected the Congress to take action that he didn't feel he was right. appropriate to take. Just to carry out the functions of democracy, I think that this view of having hearings, uh, greater transparency, finding out what really happened, and then driving that forward, uh, I do think is, is critical. But I also think that what we need to do for organizing is relate back to people's lives and keep up the popular and populist agenda on health care, on schools, on uh, criminal justice, on, uh, on the environment, on climate, and uh, caring about what the people, for example, in Wisconsin care about, about how are farmers going to be able to uh, carry on unless, and, and will working people have a decent standard of living? So the fight for 15, the fight for decent wages, uh, for one fair wage, uh, for trade unions, for having organizations that represent working people and then joining together with the kind of organization you're building to sustain that power to fight on those issues. But I actually think that we're capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time. And I think we can both fight on the deepest concerns that matter to people and also on some of these more process questions that matter to democracy overall. So what, are your, what is your thought? There's really been a change in the style of democratic, or at least progressive democratic politics over the last 20 years, uh, where there's been a move, and it's something I, you know, 
support it earlier, um, but I'm not saying it necessarily works out to our advantage. I think it does, but I'm curious on your thoughts. This stating, it, it was like we had had limited aspirations of what was possible maybe 20 years ago, but now there's a lot of campaigning around big, bold, ambitious ideas like the Green New Deal, like Medicare for All, which in one level seem very, very hard to get given the nature of power and the nature of Washington and the way our government is structured. On the other hand, are much more compelling because they're much more fundamental to people's lives. And so do you think that that is to our overall advantage in building the movements you're talking about? I think we need a vision. Without a vision, the Bible says the people shall perish and we want to thrive. And we also have to see how do you build the power to get that vision. Sometimes a step-by-step approach helps you reach to even the bolder idea. And sometimes you can just go for the bold idea and you have enough power to actually drive it through. You never really know, so I think I don't rule any of these steps out. I think they're uh, bills that would uh, change the nature of the insurance industry, lower prescription drug prices, and all of those are important too if we want to get to a Medicare for All system, but we also fight for the vision of Medicare for All. We can do both at the same time. What I think would be a mistake though is to form a circular firing squad that is shooting at each other because uh, one group may want to take one particular approach, another group may take another approach when we really want to end at the same place. And we have to remember that we are all allies in a movement taking different approaches because we're not 100% sure which style is gonna work. And there's room for all of it. And keep our eye on the main prize, which is moving forward, improving lives, giving people a sense of their own power by organizing so that they provide their voices for the change that we need. And then the third is that we change the relations of power, build strong organizations, and hold those in power accountable. So with our little bit of time left, um, you've been on a movie tour, right, pretty much for the last couple of years. So could you tell folks the title of the movie, a little bit about the movie, how it came about? And maybe uh, I'm sure they can probably find it online as well, but uh, it's also been a lot of PBS stations, right? And there's a lot of showings as well. So hopefully we can have one in Wisconsin at some point. That would be great. And I'd love if it's feasible to come to Wisconsin and do engagement with folks there. Uh, Lily Rivlin, a terrific filmmaker, uh, social justice feminist filmmaker, made a film called Heather Booth Changing the World. Now, I didn't choose the title of the film, but it basically takes us through 50 years of organizing from the early civil rights movement. It was in Mississippi summer in 1964, uh, the anti-war movement against the war in Vietnam, uh, student movement, um, union organizing, um, and then fighting on some of the big issues for financial reform. I led that fight with Elizabeth Warren winning the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I was a strategic advisor for the immigration reform campaign, uh, the coordinator on the marriage equality effort around the Supreme Court decision, and, and many other things. So that, in fact, I was in Wisconsin for the three recall elections, and uh, glad to... Um, It would be great if the film came to Wisconsin. 
but mostly great. And is it as online? you carry on the struggle. Yes, uh, you can go to www.heatherbooththefilm, and there's a full website. You can download it uh, for a personal copy, and you can rent it or, or buy it for public screenings. That is fantastic. So thank you, and I'm glad that was all documented. And it's great to have you on Battleground Wisconsin. So thank you so much for so all much. you've done and all and, you're going to continue to do. And thanks for your leadership. Thank you. Thank you very much, Heather. That's Heather Booth. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this special interview here at the People's Action Convention, recording live from Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig. I'm Executive Director of Citizen Action in Wisconsin. We are broadcasting special editions of Battleground Wisconsin from the People's Way, which is the People's Action Convention in Washington, D.C. We are part of a national network called People's Action, and there are 37 other groups like us in 31 other states. And one of those is Michigan United, which is a very strong, very progressive group across the state of Michigan. And we have a member of Michigan United who, like some of our members in Wisconsin, was elected to high office to the state legislature. So we have Lori Pahudski, who is a Michigan United member and a new state representative in Michigan. So thanks for joining us, Lori. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So can you tell your story? You know, we've, we had a, a number of citizen action of Wisconsin members in our organizing clubs run for office, get elected to state office, local office. Uh, some to the state legislature. Uh, just curious uh, how you even decided to run and how having Michigan United and being connected to social justice work uh, might have affected you deciding to you know, actually run for office, do the most American thing, that is to try to become you know, Mr. Smith, so to speak, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I ran because in all honesty, I got fed up. You know, I, I'd had some experiences a, a couple years prior to, to running where, you know, I'd graduated college, I, I'd moved back um, to my hometown and wasn't able to get a job. So I took my college degree and I waited tables for almost two years. Wow. And while I was doing that, I, I found that I was definitely not the only person having that experience. I worked with a lot of other people who had graduated college and weren't able to get jobs that paid living wages in their field. I worked with a lot of teachers who just you know, couldn't afford um, to, to survive on their salary without working a second job. Um, you know, I mean, the state of public education in Michigan is, is dismal, and we know that, but another major issue is, is teachers' wages in that state. Um, eventually, I, I did get a, a job in a laboratory. I'm a, a microbiologist by trade. Um, mm. And then the 2016 election hit, and it was just kind of this huge wake-up call. Um, you know, we watched a man who had attacked, you know, different groups his entire campaign. And I know that I felt personally attacked, but the difference for me was that that was the first time I felt undervalued in, in my country. And I had this kind of whiplash moment that other people feel that way the entire time. You know, and, and Donald Trump getting elected did not change that for them. Um, so that just kind of demonstrated in a, a very obvious way my privilege, and I had to make a decision of what I was going to do with that privilege. Um, and I, I've been an activist for a very long time, but suddenly that didn't feel like enough. So I, I looked at the different offices that I had the option of running for. My state house district was very, very red. Um, and what part of Michigan? Are, so are it, it's a city named a city called Livonia. It's about oh, Livonia. Okay, yes, yes, 20, 25 minutes outside of Detroit. Um, it has not been held by a Democrat since the 1970s. 
So I just kind of looked at it and said, well, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'll lose an election and nothing will change. I can take that hit to my ego. So here we go. Um, but I was put in touch with Michigan People's Campaign and Michigan United. And when I showed up there, they just kind of went, oh, Livonia, huh? Okay. And we started talking about practical tools, um, you know, the, the movement politics platform, essentially, uh, right. for, for how you connect with people who uh, are not interested in you as a candidate and are not interested in your party, which basically just involves move, uh, uh, campaigning on issues and connecting with people on doors and, and having just really honest conversations about what it's like to live in that community. And that's, that's what we did. And what were the big issues in your election? So uh, my community has a, a really large retiree population. So health care, elder care is uh, a very, very big. But what kind of caught me off guard is one thing that I wanted to talk about were environmental issues and in mm -hmm. particular water quality issues. We have several across the state, but none that were really particular to my district. Not so I, You're not Flint. Right, right. right. Yeah. So I knew that we were, it, that was kind of a gamble, but what I didn't expect was how much of an animating issue that was in my district, regardless of the fact that it wasn't a constant impact for for my constituents. So people can get interested in issues even if it's not specifically in their backyard. Absolutely. Just it, it elevated the sense that water was need to be protected because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Is it that kind of thing? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that was a, a big issue that um, kind of caught me off guard. I didn't expect that to be um, as much at the forefront as it was. Um, you know, and obviously education, uh, um, income inequality, things like that are, are major issues across the state, but they were definitely something that my constituents were interested in as well. And was the incumbent still in the seat when you ran, or were they termed out? Or? The incumbent was not termed out, but she was running for um, state senate instead. Ah, she okay. also She lost that election, um, which was also quite, quite an upset. Um, but I was running against, so I had a very competitive primary where I ran against a school board member who had a lot of support from the Democratic Party. I was not expected to win that. Um, and then in the general, my opponent was a, uh, a councilman who had a lot of name recognition around uh, the city and basically just kept running on, I'm, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I've never done this before, I don't know what, what you know, um, the voters in my district want. So I isn't you, right? She yes, that yes, you. correct. Okay. That was what he, he was saying he was about me. He was very experienced and knew that. Yes, Which yes. may not have been the best things in a, in a kind of a change election, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. You know, we had a debate and he said, you know, you know, I applaud my opponent for starting her career in politics. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that was a dig, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah. Yeah, we need experienced politicians who are pre-corrupted. <laughs> pre no. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what was the difference between you and the incumbent you fought that cut, you talked about what issues were important to voters. How, how was the incumbent not as strong on health care or elder care, for example? The, the councilman that I ran yeah. against? Um, so... He, the, the most obvious thing that I remember is we, again, we had this debate and he said, I, a quote was, healthcare is not a human right. And everybody in the audience, like they had to be quieted down because there was just such this audible, visceral reaction oh, against that great. statement. Um, but even in addition to that, he had this tendency, and I, I noticed this in my primary as well, to just kind of play it safe and not take really hard line stances on anything and I mean I understand where you know if you're trying to flip a seat I guess that could be your instinct 
But again, I, I you know, I said this just this morning on the, the, the panel, I kind of had the benefit of nobody thinking I was going to be able to win this election, so nobody told me how to do it. So if I was asked a question, I gave an honest answer. So there wasn't a Democratic Party establishment that came in and like gave you your talking points definitely or anything not. like that. Definitely not. Post primary, okay. you know, they they definitely came in because they realized it was a seat that they could win and and then they had a lot of thoughts and, and in all honesty we had a lot of disagreements because I'd already been doing this since March of the previous year so with all due respect you don't get to sweep in in August 2018 and tell me I'm doing it wrong now um, but well, so, a lot of candidates don't have that kind of you know courage <laughs> I mean, you're better going with what you know works for exactly you. exactly you know I think that people appreciated actually having an honest answer to their questions you know what if, if you're out here talking about health care and how it's such an issue what's your stance whether people agreed with it or not they appreciated that I said why well, I support single-payer health care because it was an honest answer and it was an honest plan it wasn't just oh well you know we have to do something about it you know so and I'm gonna be really careful and right, you know right, try to exactly. you know be all things to all people. So we've had around roughly 70 of our members uh, get elected to office um, last couple years, uh, state office, local office. And what I'm struck with with your story is how you were very much just an average person who got fed up and ran. You weren't planning your own life on starting your political career, though I know some people in office like that. So what do you say to all the people across state, all the Cincinnati Wisconsin members who are thinking about running, about whether they should just do it, so to speak? I mean, it's, it's always going to be a risk, mm-hmm. but I knew that if I didn't do it, I would spend the rest of my life regretting not having done it. That's not to say it's not difficult. You know, there's still this note on my phone where I'd just been having this pity party day. And I was just like, this is so difficult. Why am I doing this? And um, something came out about the Trump administration. That was when basically, um, because of some, some gutting to the ACA and things like that, uh, you could lose your insurance if you had talked to your doctor about having been sexually assaulted. And I texted my husband at the time and I said, I'm sorry, we might lose our health care because I disclosed to a therapist that I was raped. And I was so angry and I wrote this note on my phone just saying, no more feeling sorry for yourself. You stay this angry forever. And I think that if I had not done what I did, if I had not run for office, even if I had lost, I would have spent the rest of my life thinking I could have done something more. Um, But it is very difficult. So I I would say make sure that you have an an amazing support system. Um, You know, I didn't do laundry for about a year and a half. (laughs) Um, So make sure you have people that can just kind of pick up where you have to, to, to drop some balls because it's going to happen. So and be willing sure. to work that hard. What you just disclosed kind of is how yeah. hard you worked. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. Because I worked throughout the entirety of my campaign too. Um, I worked full-time through the primary and then part-time post. So you were uh, working and working on the campaign. Yes. Okay, that's amazing. Yes, it's it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. So having a strong support system is, is incredibly important. Well, this is a great story. I'm glad you joined us. We've been talking to Lori Bohutsky, a new state representative from Michigan, who is a member of Michigan United and worked with them, the Citizen Action Wisconsin's equivalent in Michigan. And I think your story is really inspiring to people in Wisconsin and beyond about what you can do if you actually take power back. Power to the people means people like you actually taking it back.
exactly. with other people working with you, having right. a network. Right, and bringing those people into, yeah. into power with you is the most important part. And so we call it co-governing in people's action exactly. world. Well, great. I look forward to all the great things you're going to accomplish in Lansing. Thank but you so much. It was great to meet you. Thank nice you, Lori. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this special interview here at the People's Action Convention, recording live from Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action Wisconsin, and we are taping live, though it's not really tape anymore, guys. Uh, but, you know, it's still, it's still a word. Uh, so we are taping live from the People's Action Convention, which is a great convening in Washington, D.C. Of, of other social justice groups around the country like this National Wisconsin, and we're plotting how to take statewide power and take yes. back American government. Okay. And we're fortunate to have with us Demario Cooper, the executive director of the Ohio Organizing uh, Collaborative, which is really one of the better-known uh, social justice power-building groups in Ohio, in, in the country, but very well known by a lot of other groups and uh, and well-respected. So, Demario, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. We kind of hijacked you coming down the hallway. Adam <laughs> Krugel from People's Action yeah. grabbed you and the rest in your yeah, microphone. Yeah, I was an old friend. You know how he's an organizer too, so he just you know organized me into this this uh, this call. It sounds like it's really cool though. So, so can you tell our, because a lot of our members listen, but a lot of the general public too, uh, what 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 your what Ohio Organizing Collaborative is doing, how mm -hmm. you were built up, what what your projects are, and, and how you're trying to take back power for people in Ohio. Yeah, so the Ohio Organizing Collaborative is a a, um, a statewide organization. Uh, we have uh, locations or shops, we call them, in uh, Cleveland. Well, actually, all of the major metropolitans in the state of Ohio. So Cleveland, Toledo. Akron, Columbus, Dayton, Cincinnati, um, and uh, Youngstown. But we also have, like, we've been working on small towns and uh, what people call rural organizing, but people who live in small towns call them small towns and right. like, will have a problem with you if you say they live in a rural community. So Zanesville is not rural. Huh? No, okay. no. It's like, <laughs> like, you know, East Liverpool, these are towns. Like, they, they'll tell you, like, I don't live across the street from any cows, so I don't know what you're talking about. But, <laughs> but we've been uh, working and building power. Uh, down in those areas and the main things we work on I mean if we just had to put it in a nutshell we just say we are working to improve the quality of life of working families and working people and uh, our organization is about doing those things so we work on um, economic justice issues around particularly EITC funding right now we've been working on protecting the safety net and stopping work requirements in the state of Ohio but we also work on you know racial justice issues around criminal justice reform so we've been, uh, we've been a leading organization in the state around criminal justice reform. We've worked on a ban the box campaign. We passed it in 13 municipalities until it was finally mm. passed at the state level. Um, we, also, uh, we also have uh, decreased uh, uh, what they call collateral sanctions, which is like mm. all the things you can't do if you have a felony. In Ohio uh, in 2013, that was 900 things on the list that you couldn't do because you had a felony. And uh, we helped reduce that by 300, even though there's still more to go, you know, but we definitely induced, reduced it for a lot of people. That helped thousands of people be able to get jobs or housing or different things that they needed. Uh, up until, like, last year, we really made a big play. We tried to change the Constitution. <laughs> the Constitution in the state of Ohio. We worked uh, collaboratively with partners and allies across the state and across the country to put a ballot initiative uh, on the ballot. So uh, it was issue one. It was a um, it was a ballot initiative that really did four things. It turned F4, F5 drug possession felonies into misdemeanors 
and made them retroactive. So if you got one during the height of the drug war, you can actually go back and get that reduced to a, a misdemeanor. Uh, an increased earned time credit for folks who are incarcerated from 8% to 25% just to help people get home. Because a lot of folks who are doing long sentences, you know, they did that. Whatever crime it was, they might have done it when they were 18, 19, 20, now they're 35, you know. Um, maybe got some kids who try to go to college and really need to get home. They're a different mm -hmm. person. Um, and then uh, we, we wanted to decrease the opportunity for, um, for technical violations to be ways of reincarcerating people. And Ohio doesn't have a uniform system around how you can get violated while you're on probation. And so we wanted to try to make that more uniform and also not send people back to prison for things that we know are health issues, i.e. relapse, um, overdose. And people were going back to jail because they were dealing with their addictions, um, having addiction issues, and come in, drop a dirty urine, you go back to jail, show up late to a meeting, you go to jail, you know, got to go to work and don't got a babysitter or something like that. You got to go, you know, go back to jail. Like, that just doesn't make sense. So it was doing all those things to decrease the prison population in the state. But the fourth part of the ballot initiative that we ran was to take the money saved from people not being incarcerated and reinvest it in the drug treatment, trauma recovery, and mental health services. That bill, um, we, we had to get 730,000 signatures to get it on the ballot. Uh, we did that. We got it on the ballot. We ran into some real like state power dynamics around ballot boards and how they could change the language to make things. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. We ran into I mean, head on ran into it, man. We had a Supreme Court Justice um, um, O'Connor come out against the initiative, said that we were trying to legalize fentanyl in the state of Ohio. You know, we had the ballot board change the language. All that resulted in we did lose at the ballot box. Um, we lost 30 to 60, but what happened, which, which is interesting because today we're dealing with this thing called Senate Bill 3. So once it lost at the ballot box, the next day, most of the news outlets were saying that criminal justice has to be a priority at a new General Assembly in Ohio. So although we lost, uh, we actually lost at the ballot box, but we definitely changed the narrative. Set the agenda, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. That's super interesting. Now, we're not a ballot initiative state in Wisconsin, so we're oh. sometimes jealous. Like, we could have just <laughs> gone and taken out Act 10, the anti-labor, yeah, if yeah. we had any kind of, you know, citizen's veto as well, which I, is how you took out the... That's right. That's uh, how we beat SB5. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, was a, I was a part of that campaign. It was mad, man. It was a great power-building moment for, for working people. Great power-building moment. So, I mean, like, how the structure works because the structure gave you that ability, whereas we don't. But on the other hand, ballot initiatives are big money. So you end yes. up in a lot of issues that way. I mean, we're both battleground states, Ohio and Wisconsin, Definitely. right? And Definitely. we're on with DeMario Cooper, the, the executive director of Ohio Organizing Collaborative. So just to remind folks listening. So, how do you think it changes things being a battleground state? I mean, in some ways, it creates more of an emphasis on your state, but the other ways, it distorts things because a lot of outside money comes in, even on the even for progressive causes, and for changes sure. it. For sure. I mean, you know, Ohio is like you know we we like to say uh, we like to say we're the uh, the prettiest person at the at prom every four years, right? Like everybody wants to come to Ohio. People come with their own agendas, different agendas. Um, and maybe they do, or maybe they have some understanding of what's happening on the ground, and most of the time they don't. Um, but a lot of money right. floods the system. And it just, it, it, you know, we've tried to, as an organization, we've tried to learn how to take those moments to build capacity, build infrastructure, knowing that there's going to be a, you know, it's a boom and bust type of situation. The other thing that really, you know, is currently driving me crazy about this battleground state stuff is like, you know, Ohio went for Trump uh, in 16. So then everybody's like, oh, well, Ohio's not a battleground state or a swing state anymore. And I'm like, well, it went for Obama twice. 
So it went for Obama twice. Then it went for Donald Trump. Everybody, you know, like these are populist messages that work in places like us where you see, you know, it's a post-industrial society. People have been losing jobs. Home values have been tanking. Somebody comes in like a strong man saying like, hey, I'm going to save this situation and people go for it. I think what we have to do as um, organizations like us and people who are at the, at, at the people's wave and, at, and work with people's action, um, our agenda has to be that we are, we're creating a populist message that works for all, Ohio, all, well, for us Ohioans, but, you know, all Americans where you can see, where people can see themselves as uh, aligned against, like, corporate forces and, and, and the capitalists. By capitalists, I mean people who own the means of production. I don't know right. if I can say that. On, <laughs> you can say that, that on kinda, our show. That kind of takes some things. Hey, you know? the S word is no longer a swear anymore. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And so, I mean, like, we have to, we, our job has to become, like, really focusing on creating narratives um, that are race and class conscious in order to help people, help inoculate people from, like, the racial dog whistles that's been used to make, you know, white folks feel like they have an alignment with a billionaire president that's like a what a blue collar they call them blue collar billionaires or like, yeah it's crazy. like how can you have something in common with me um especially when like my neighbor down the street who's working at the same jobs or living through the same realities we we definitely have more in common and so i think our job is really to make sure that like to help people understand that and align that narrative around like look we are all on the same team um and there are a set of folks who have always used uh, the divisions that they taught us uh, to wedge us, especially in important moments like presidential elections. So I think like, you know, every four years, Ohio becomes comes like the place where everybody wants to come uh, and the place where people want to invest money. I think in between those times and during those times, we've been working actively to create a race class conscious uh, narrative that helps us like inoculate against the dog whistles. Because if we don't talk about it, they're just going to keep working. If we don't actually have a conversation, it'll just keep working and is working is this weird idea that somehow trump is good for youngstown or akron right right. exactly totally and the thing that's interesting about trump being good for youngstown like during the campaign he had like he had like campaign rallies there turning out thousands of people right lordstown plant i know gm plant right yeah where they did the chevy cruise where they did the chevy cruise it shuts down and to be clear a lot of the folks who were who were uh supporters at trump rallies were employees and, and, and worked in those local. They were part of those locals and, and worked at those shops. And um and instead of like actually working to save their jobs the same you know, the way that President Obama had worked to save people's jobs, um, this guy come in saying he's gonna create jobs and then when that place shuts down he blames the union president for yeah. it shutting down, doesn't doesn't really throw his weight behind it's not shutting down, blames the union president then he had a rally in Canton, which is 35 minutes from where those people got shut down and wouldn't go up the street to see him. Right? Like, but that's, 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 this guy gets yeah. to act like he's a blue collar guy. This is Battleground Wisconsin. We got to take a quick break. All right. Thanks again for listening to this special interview here at the People's Action Convention, recording live from Washington, D.C. Welcome back. This is Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And we've been talking here to DeMario Cooper, uh, the Executive Director of the Ohio Organizing Collaborative. And we're at the People's Wave, the People's Action Convention, which is a network of a lot of social justice groups like Citizen Action. And so, you know, we were talking about how battleground states, Ohio and Wisconsin, how every four years they become this big focus. And you were talking about creating 
kind of a race con racially conscious unity that prevents the dog whistle divisions to That's divide right. and conquer. That's right. You know, there's all these rumors. I really, I know you had to run, but one last big question, uh -huh. and I think things are really fickle, but we're getting all this stuff in Wisconsin that Wisconsin is now the battleground of battleground states, and so they want to double down even more, but somehow Ohio is out of play. <laughs> and I just, because that would be huge implications for yeah. the country. So what is your take on whether Ohio, whether the, it seems these Democratic pundits who make these kind of calls are saying Ohio's out of play, yeah. whether that's even possible, and yeah. then what, your, what all of your years of organizing Ohio says about, I mean, if we're going to write off Ohio, I think then it, it narrows the battleground even further and increases right. the odds of someone like Trump getting reelected. That's right. I think, like, if we, I mean, honestly, what you're talking about is, is people seeding Ohio. Right. You're going to cede Ohio to, to the Republicans because you believe like Ohio somehow is a Republican state. Ohio has historically been I mean, we voted for Republicans, but Ohio is a working class, industrial, you know, uh, farmland, working people, people full of grit kind of state. Like you can't see that. You can't see that space for a couple of reasons. One, there's more people in the state of Ohio who who really um, support working families and progressive ideas. Um, than it mm -hmm. would seem like in the last election. Um, on top of that, you know, we keep electing Sherrod Brown, who is right. like the most, one of the most progressive um, and economic and economic justice focused senators. In, and in, we have Tammy Baldwin, who's all in for Medicare for All and won right. re-election easily, telling you that being for Medicare for All does not cost you the election in, in, right, in a right. purple I, state. Yeah. Man, I'm just trying to tell you, I think like in purple states or whatever you want to call it, one, you need to make the opposition pay, right? If you're going to win Ohio, we're not going to cede Ohio. You at least going to have to spend some of your resources instead of being a double down in Wisconsin, right? Like yeah. you're going to have to pay some money to win Ohio. Um, I think that's one thing. And then the second thing is like people are struggling in the state of Ohio. Like, you know, people want to, like, minimize and, and, and use kind of, um, uh, re like, re reduce thinking to say, like, you know, Ohio is just, you know, they're just racist and there ain't no way to save Ohio. Without thinking about the realities of people who live in the state that, like, for 40 years, like, factories have been closing in the state of Ohio. Through Democratic presidents, through Republican presidents, factories have been closing. And what, you, what we really need is someone... You know, I mean, and this guy, you know, Trump comes in. He's like a strong man. He, he gets to he gets to say, like, hey, I'm going to save these jobs. I'm going to save this economy. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, reverse NAFTA and all these other things. And like that appeals to people who have factory jobs at one point and like have been seeing their neighborhoods constantly decline. I think if our side wants to be successful and I think there is a real way to be successful in Ohio. But if the progressive side wants to be successful, our side or people oriented sides um, of this of this debate and politic uh, want to be successful we have to speak more to the real needs of folks so folks want to they want to hear about like how are we going to do job creation what are going to be the infrastructure plans where how am I going to be able to take care of my family and I think there's a lot of confusion around what it means to have safety net protection and what those means to have safety net programs but it's just a real it's, I mean think you know people I talk to in Ohio you have folks more people are now disappointed with Trump Right. Like they're disappointed with the current president. I mean, I think people, they want something different. I think Trump was a difference vote, too. It wasn't like we're just right. lining up around white supremacy. They went for Trump. There was something that was anti-establishment. Yeah. Hillary was Hillary not anti-establishment. But I know you kind of you mentioned the Lordstown plant closing because yeah. oh, yeah. they said this is a company that we bailed out yep. under President Obama. Yep. Right. 
that they claim that they're not selling enough Chevy Cruises. I don't know. I see Chevy Cruises everywhere. all over the place. I see Chevy Cruises yeah. everywhere. So I don't. It's I don't not get that it. They're not selling enough Chevy yeah, Cruises. They just, they just don't they want to pay these offshore people. more. That's right. Production. That's so right. the problem is, and you were getting at. Democrats having a vision mm -hmm. for those Lordstown workers and not just them because you said some of them were Trump supporters not all yeah, of them yeah. but in general what hope does does the traditional kind of uh, milquetoast Democrat platform even offer them I mean what, the what did Hillary actually offer That's them the that was real let's, right? let's just be clear I mean and, and I don't know how far this, this goes but Hillary really did not campaign in Ohio and she like, didn't visit Wisconsin she didn't visit I mean she yeah. barely came to Ohio she tried to send like Jay-Z and Beyonce to do a concert i'm like that is not how you're going to win a state like ohio or wisconsin like these are folks who are built we are built on working hard working people families like if you don't show up we're not we're not working for you like show me you know show me that you care show me that you are are, are concerned with what's happening here and i just think like you know she didn't show up enough and he <coughs> excuse me bless you and donald trump showed up regular he was he's been in Ohio four times this year, you know, like um, if we're going to win, we got to we got to have candidates who aren't, wor aren't worried about coming to places like Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan. You got to show up. You got to show up because our folks are we're workers. We're working. We all come from families of people who have 40 years and 30 years in a factory. That means getting up at six, five thirty in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, being at work every single day for 30 years. Like there's a certain level of grit and respect that comes from that. And if you don't show up, you can't just hit these places with rhetoric. They want to see you. And um, I feel like if we if we if we actually had candidates that were doing that, we we could see more we could see more 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 ground gained in in places like Ohio. But I, I actually believe you know Ohio's going to shock the world because in, in Ohio people are not satisfied with what's going on. And if you look at Northeast Ohio, especially places like Warren, Youngstown, they don't forget this kind of stuff. You know, like. Um, you know they don't. They're not gonna forget this. They're not. Gonna, everybody in Lordstown whose lives. I mean, you're just not just disrupting the people who worked in the plant. The entire com community, the economy of the community, is affected by this. And the fact that you didn't even have the respect to come visit us and and like see what happened, and you were 30 minutes away trying to recruit people who are just like us. Like, nah, Youngstown particularly, Youngstown Warren. They don't forget this kind of stuff. And we're, we're talking to DeMario Cooper, the uh, executive director of the Ohio Organizing Collaborative. So one final question. I know you, you, have, to, you have to skedaddle here because we have an exciting convention going on here. Yeah, but the it's, question is getting, getting lit. I don't know. Yeah. It's getting, but, it's getting cool. you know, when the big investments come into battlegrounds, so let's say in Ohio, like in, in Wisconsin, a lot of it goes on TV. Yeah. Now you're oh. an organizer. Come on. What do you suggest would be better investments in building real power and win and winning these states long term? So, so here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I just came off a of ballot initiative, so asking me that question is really a loaded <laughs> question. You know, um, I, I I'm I'm of the belief like you know TV is not an effective tool anymore. Most people aren't even. I don't even have. I don't watch TV. I watch like Netflix right. and Hulu. Like, I, I'm not getting, I'm not really getting my news from there. I get my news online. Most people are doing, like, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is somehow, like, giving you the news you need. Like, we don't, I mean, the money that's being spent on TV is, it, to me, a waste. And it's, and it's money that's just going through consultants' hands in order for them to get paid, you know. And they're, they're keep advising these campaigns, hey, do, do TV. And the truth is we keep learning the same lesson over and over again that if you go knock on somebody's door, meet with some people, 
organize some things and talk directly to human beings like human beings to human beings that has been working forever you know a little little <laughs> anecdote to mario when i was asked why a candidate in 2014 for governor in wisconsin spent almost nothing on digital where everyone was going digital yeah another consultant told me oh well all the people around her they make their money on tv right so exactly it, it, that's it that's what i mean that's what's happening people are making <laughs> so much money on this tv points that is like you know, it's, it's really about the consultant. And the thing about a consultant, right, like a consultant, particular consultant, not all of them, I won't say all of them, but a lot, uh, make their money whether you win or lose. So if I'm the consultant who got the TV ad buys and I'm buying from my friends, right, like I'm getting paid and my friends getting paid whether your campaign's successful or and not. And you pay for the ad and you pay a percentage of the buy. Right. So when they go and say, let's double the buy in Cleveland, That's they're right. making double the money. They're making double yeah. the money, exactly. And that money should be getting used to, like, knock doors, to do the grassroots organizing. So we had a campaign, and I'm not going to say everything about it, but like we had a campaign. I had to run out and find a million dollars to run the field, right? Come to find out the campaign spent $16 million. If I would have had $4 million to run a field game, we probably would have won issue one, right? Like, we would have won it because I would have been able to go into the small town areas. I would have been able to go into Republican strongholds. We would have been able to go into different places as well as turn out our base. You know, and our people, like, you know, you need to talk to our people. Like, people who are working, you need to remind them and talk to them and engage them in face-to-face conversations. At least a phone call. Right to their to their cell phones if wherever that's legal from someone in their state. That's right, not a call center somewhere somewhere right. in California. Right, right. like and then on top of that, then we lose the capacity when you think you can throw all of this stuff on TV and that's going to move voters. What you actually lose is the relational connections between people once the campaign is over. So then you got to come back, which works for consultants. You got to come back and spend another however many millions of dollars, right? And if we were actually using that money to build relationships and on the ground grassroots power based in relationship and power through relationships it would cost us less to win these statewide campaigns actually in the long run because then you start building a network through those resources instead of just buying tv and i know we have to i think the best argument a better value proposition to build permanent power than Definitely. build a big temporary expensive thing every cycle every cycle you know we've been talking to demario cooper the executive director of the ohio organizing collaborative this has been a great conversation so thanks for taking t- a little bit of time out of your convention no problem. Uh, to chat with all our listeners across wisconsin no problem thank you and uh you know go wisconsin but <laughs> go ohio state <laughs> Ooh, those are fighting words. Thank you, Demario. You've been listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Thanks again for listening to this special interview here at the People's Action Convention, recording live from Washington, D.C. 